Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again to, uh, to Christmas Eve. I know that uh, some of you are, uh, are in the, the mode where you're managing kids. As I came up on the stage here, I, I stepped on some Cheerios, and I just thought, that's not normal. There's normally not Cheerios up there. But it's, it's that time of year where we celebrate together as a family, and we get to be together and, and make Christmas traditions. And I, I got to admit, I love uh, this time of year uh, for, for many reasons. If I'm being honest, one of the reasons I love this time of year is because I get presents. Uh, last night, as I was picking out my outfit, I just thought, Tomorrow, none of this will matter because my mother-in-law is about to buy me a new wardrobe just like she does every year, and it's going to be glorious. And so uh, I'm, already, I'm already dreaming about that. It's no, no toys in my future anymore, but uh, I, I do like the, the new clothes. I also like uh, this time of year just because I get to be together with family. As many of you know, you're, you're usually off of work. You're spending time with family, and, and things uh, just, just feel a little different. They're a little more relaxed. And uh, also, I, I love this time of year because... Um, there's a whole lot of NBA uh, games that are on TV on Christmas, and that is like a personal gift to me from the NBA. And so I just get to uh, wear sweatpants, uh, not work a lot, and watch basketball, and that is my own personal heaven. And so it's a great time of year. Another reason uh, that I love this time of year uh, is, is because uh, you can't help but kind of naturally slow down as it gets cold. I'm the kind of guy, uh, when I'm at my house, I always feel like there's a project I need to be doing. I need to be out uh, you know, doing leaf removal or mowing the yard or painting a fence or doing something, and eventually, this time of year, the snow starts to be on the ground, and it just gets so cold that you've eventually got to say, you know what, I need to chill out, I need to slow down, uh, I need to do nothing, and to give you a little, a little background on that, the reason that maybe I feel like I need to always be doing a project is because uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, our family found the dream home, as we like to call it, uh, but the dream home wasn't, uh, wasn't maybe everyone's dream when we, when we first saw it, and so we found a home uh, that was built in 1965. Uh, by a man named Albert here on the edge of Hilliard. Uh, Kristen and I had always said, my wife and we always said that our dream was to be 10 minutes from Target and still be able to own chickens. And so this house uh, helped us accomplish all of that. But this house needed, uh, needed some work. And so once upon a time, it was probably a great house, had some, some great bones, as they say. But, but we, we looked at this house and we thought, we're going to need to do a lot of stuff. And so the day that we bought this house, the day that we took ownership, uh, we, we had to completely redo the, the entire electric panel and redo all the power. We had to put in new HVAC. We had to have some friends come over and rip out all of the floors on the first floor. And so we were, we were down to the subfloors. We had to uh, paint the inside of the entire house after removing one to three layers of wallpaper in every room. Uh, we had to paint the, the inside of the whole house uh, two times just to, uh, to cover everything up. We had to completely gut three bathrooms down to the studs. This was a house that, that needed some repair, but we looked at it and we just thought, this is a house that, that we want to restore. This is a house that we want to, to see its, uh, its previous glory. And so uh, as I would see the rotting walls on the garage, I would just think, I'm going to cover you up with vinyl siding and you're going to be great again and people are going to like you. And so we continued uh, to just put money into this, the dream house. And, and there was a time in the, in the late summer when we were uh, cutting limbs and, and I was getting poison ivy almost every hour, it seemed like, uh, that, that I just thought, I don't know if this is worth it. But we wanted to see this house repaired. We wanted to see it restored. And we wanted to see uh, this house basically renovated and we wanted to see it redeemed and and so as we got to know this man when we bought this house he told us 
that he, his, his wife uh, was, was now in an assisted care facility, but, but that he and his wife had raised four kids in this house and how wonderful it had been that they could be kind of out in the country and learn work ethic and, 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 and they were able to raise their family there. And he said, that's why he wanted to sell this house to us. He loved that we were taking this house because we also had four kids and we would get to raise them in the same house just like he and his wife did. And so some of you are wondering, Mark, if you're gonna complain about that, why, why didn't you just buy a, a new house? I guess we, we could have done that. We could have done a new build. Uh, but my guess is that I'm not the only person in here that likes to hear stories about renovation. In fact, I, I know I'm not because there are entire channels that prove that we all love a story of redemption, that we all love a comeback. And those stories are uh, TLC and especially HGTV, right? We, we like to gobble these channels up. We watch all of these shows. In fact, there's one specific couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, who are making money off of all of us right now somehow. I'm not sure, but they have made a career off of the fact that we love a comeback. We love a story of renovation and we we love redemption. I saw an article this week that talked about how many different enterprises Chip and Joanna Gaines have going, and at first I thought it was a typo, but I want to read that list to you here. This, the list is, is this. We all know that uh, Chip and Joanna have a, a show called Fixer Upper. They have a spinoff show about decorating. They have a product line with Target that I've mocked before on many a Sunday uh, because it sent shockwaves through suburbia, right? Uh, we, we also know that they have multiple books published. They have two bed and breakfast type rental house they have a magazine that is often delivered to my house, so I'm not mocking you. I'm part of the problem, all right? Uh, they have the, the silos, a place that I've seen many of you visit and even use the hashtag bucket list. I don't know if it's that exciting, but you've been to their, their place in Texas. You know that they have a bakery there. They have a restaurant. They have a real estate business because originally they were flipping houses, and if you're going to flip houses, why would you let someone else take the profit? You should be closing on those uh, for yourself. They have a line of rugs and pillows at Pier 1. They have a paint line with 125 colors. Little known fact, Joanna Gaines invented the rainbow and paint. And so uh, she gifted us that. They also have a wallpaper line and now she has a fashion line. And so again, I'm not, uh, I'm not making fun of them. I'm not making fun of us for loving them, but we love redemption. We love a comeback and we prove it in the way that we spend our money and our time. Some of us even think back to, to when the Cubs came back and beat the Indians. That was a story of redemption and a comeback. It makes me want to cry. And so I wanted to save this one for last. We think of when the Cavs came back from a 3-1 lead or from a 3-1 deficit and, and won the championship a couple of years ago and there are so many ways in, in stories around us that we see comebacks and we see redemption and as we talk about that we've been in a series called Let Me Introduce You. And we've talked about four different stories, four different viewpoints of the story of Jesus. We've looked at the four gospels. We looked at the, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and today we wanna look at John. And when we look at these four different introductions to the life and the story of Jesus and why he came, it, it helps us get a comprehensive and kind of a, an overwhelming story of who Jesus is, why he was born, and why God sent this baby thousands of years ago and what it, what it means for us. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the book of Matthew we said that the book of Matthew tells the, the Christmas story in a very classic way. It goes through a genealogy and tells us about the, the family and the ancestors of Jesus. But what's neat is it, it doesn't just talk about how everyone was perfect. It lets us in on some of the flaws and things in the line of Jesus that may honestly be considered dysfunctional now if we were to just put a, a term on them. The genealogy of Jesus says that, that God can use normal people and he can use broken people. We learned that God steps, in, steps into our, our common and our politically incorrect lives, and, and yet he, he redeems them. 
Mary's pregnancy before in marriage says that God can use people who don't always fit in social norms. God steps into our messy lives, and Jesus' birth in a manger says that you don't have to clean up your life before I arrive. Jesus steps into our lives knowing that he can make things better, that he will redeem them. And so a couple of weeks ago, our big idea for that morning was that Jesus comes into our brokenness. We looked at the book of Luke a couple of weeks ago, and and that's what Jen just read us, the classic Christmas story, the one that my grandpa used to read to my family and the grandkids as we would sit around the fire every year. And and this is what the the, the book of Luke tells us. It it highlights a couple of people, a man named Zachariah, who was the the uncle of Jesus, and and Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, and it highlights their healthy sense of skepticism. They wondered, what is God doing in this plan? Because the story of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, Jesus and even those who came before Jesus, Zachariah's son, John the Baptist, we wouldn't have designed it that way, right? If we said, hey, I'm going to redeem the world, we would have said, we're going to send a king, there's going to be a band, there's going to be a party, there's going to be food. You and I wouldn't have designed the king of the world's arrival the way that it unfolds in the Bible. And so as these people were skeptical, some of us think, how dare they doubt God? And yet you and I doubt God each day. And so the book of, book of Luke tells us that we can have a healthy sense of skepticism, Luke writes down this orderly account and he goes through the story so that we can be thinkers, so that we can gather the facts, so that we can say, yes, God had a plan and yes, God was working and and we can take our skepticism to God and we can let that flex our faith muscle and we can let it strengthen our faith. Jesus not only came for our brokenness, but he came to us knowing that we were doubtful skeptics, knowing that we would have questions, but knowing that he was the answer to those. Last week we looked at the book of Mark and we said that the book of Mark kind of tells us that the story of Jesus started long before the birth of Jesus. God had this in motion that all of recorded history is God's story. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, this wasn't a B plan. This was God's story of redemption all along and we can see that God was moving and the book of Mark tells us that this story has always been about Jesus. This was about his glory and no one else. And and the book of Mark tells us that Jesus gives us a picture of communal and sacrificial love because Jesus came to this world into our brokenness. And Jesus came because we're skeptics, but he came to show us real love. And so this morning, as, as we finish up, I want to just quickly highlight some things in the book of John as we, as we capture this fourth perspective of all of the Gospels. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there to the, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. If there's a Bible under your seat, there should be one there around you. If you want to turn with us, it's page 809, page 809, and I want to read John chapter 1, verse 1, and kind of tie up the bow of these, these four pictures of Jesus. This isn't a classic Christmas passage in a story, and yet I think it illuminates exactly what God's plan was all along, why he sent a baby, and, and what that means for you and I. And so John chapter 1, verse 1 on page 809 says this. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. When it says the word there, it's talking about Jesus. It goes on to say, the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, we talked in in so many ways that God sent his, his son, Jesus, as a baby into this world. And some of us think, well, that's not how it should have been done. That's not, not, it's not the best way possible. And we said that Jesus came for our brokenness. 
Jesus came to this world for you and I. He came in spite of the fact that we were skeptics. And he came to show us love. And we see his, his presence alongside God for all of, of history and looking back through the account of creation, through everything that God has ever done, Jesus has been there knitting this, this, this structure together, holding the structure together. You and I were created, and it says that we couldn't have been created without him. We were created by him and for him because of him. And yet even though He's one and the same with God. Even though he was with God and with the glory of God in heaven, he came to this world. He was sent to this world. And this passage says that he became flesh. The word was with God and the word was God, but the, world, the word came to, to this world as a baby and he was inserted into our story and we see this story unfold this passage kind of supports and, and summarizes everything that these other three accounts have said. This is who Jesus is. This is why he was sent. This is why he came. This is why he's a big deal. But the reason that he was sent is not just so that it would be a, a great Christmas story. He was sent because we needed him to be sent to this world. Because God had, had created man and, and woman to be in relationship with him. God had created us to know him. And yet we, we think we don't, we don't need him. We know, we know a better way. We know another way. We're going to do things on our own. And we separate ourselves from God. And so God sent Jesus to redeem our story. God sent Jesus to repair our story. God sent Jesus to restore the lives of you and I and fix up the broken things and the ways that we've, we've fallen off track. We're, we're just like a, a house that needs some work. We're like a house that needs some TLC because in our story, there's a little disarray. There's sin. There's you and I choosing our way above God's way and putting a gap between us and our heavenly father. And if we skip to the third chapter of John, this, this account goes on. You know these verses well. John chapter three, verses 16 and 17, telling us that Jesus didn't just come to this world and didn't just put on the, the flesh and become man, but, but that he came with a purpose. John three sixteen and, and 17 says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so the arrival of Jesus is a crossroads for you and I. Our knowledge of the presence and existence and glory of Jesus is a crossroads because we're faced with the fact that we're not on a, we're not on a level with, with God. We're broken down. We're flawed. We've chosen our own way above God's way and, and we're defined by our sin and our choices. And so we're separated from God. And this verse says that God sent Jesus knowing that we're separated, knowing that we're broken down, knowing that we need restored, knowing that we need redeemed. He sent Jesus to give his life so that our belief in him would close that gap and would give us relationship with him. The arrival of Jesus is a crossroads. It's a crossroads to say, this is the direction that I've been heading in. Is this, is this where I want to go? See, once we realize that our lives are headed 
into a, a place of, of selfishness, of emptiness. Eventually, all of us in our life realize that we're headed toward things that we've thought would make us happy. We're headed toward things like presence and things that seem so great but ultimately let us down. We're headed toward things that are, that are man-made earthly pleasures. And when we realize that we were made to know God, to be in relationship with God, to be in the presence of God, and when we realize that Jesus gave his life so that that could take place, we're offered a choice at this crossroads to say, do I want to continue to pursue my own pleasures, the things that I've wanted to define me, or do I want to look at this option of Jesus? Do I want to take steps toward him and walk toward him? That's called repentance. To say, Lord, I've been walking in the wrong direction. I want to turn and I want to face you. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you have life figured out. It just means that you understand what that verse says. That God gave his one and only son, Jesus. So whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be separated from God, but will be with God and will know God. And so as we repent and say, Lord, I've, I've, I've run after my own desires, my own ways, but I want to walk towards you. I want to know you. I want to be in your presence. I want to have a relationship with you. Romans 3.23 says this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think everyone in this room, maybe, maybe this time of year or every time of year, we're aware of our shortcomings and the ways that we've messed up. Romans 6.23 says that the price of our sin is death and separation from God. And yet the book of Romans goes on to say this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This plan of Jesus coming was not an accident. This plan was not something that, that we can underappreciate. This plan was everything. His birth is everything. His arrival is everything because it was a game changer for you and I. Jesus gave his life for us. The scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And yet the thought of someone else paying our, our bill at a restaurant or paying the price for our sins or, or doing the work of, of what we've wanted to do, it doesn't, it doesn't always work with us. And yes, that's exactly what the message and the sacrifice of Jesus is, that we need to trust in another person's sacrifice. We need to have faith in another person's sacrifice. We need to have belief in another person's sacrifice because we can't do it. Similar to maybe the way that I invited my father-in-law over to my house to do most of the things that needed done because I knew that, that I couldn't do it. I knew that I couldn't make those repairs. I knew that I couldn't restore that house. I couldn't redeem that house. And yet he was capable of doing that. And so I had to trust in him. And I don't mean to say that he's anything like Jesus, although he would probably really like that. That would be a compliment to him and earn me some major son-in-law points. But, but sometimes we have to have faith in the work of someone else, believe in the work of someone else and trust in the work of someone else. So the book of John gives us this snapshot in this portrait. The purpose of the gospel of John, as stated by John himself, is to show that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ, the Son of God, and that those who believe in him can have eternal life, can have hope, can have belonging, can have relationship. They can be found in him. That's the purpose that we see in John 1 and John 3 in this book, that Jesus came to repair, restore, and redeem us. And so I know this is a time of year when everyone puts on their Christmas sweater and everyone hugs grandma and everyone acts like life is perfect and they're excited and yet there's a lot of pain in our world even this time of year. I went yesterday and, and got to visit a, a family from movement here who 
ended up in the, the hospital. One, the, the husband ended up in the hospital and he's gonna be there till Tuesday. And so their, their Christmas does not look like they thought their Christmas would look. They're in the ICU and they're doing okay, but they're, they're gonna be there for a few days and so things look a little different. And, and sometimes our, our Christmas has hints of that. I don't mean to, to be depressing, but there, there are probably stories around this room of, of divorce and, and heartache and disease and, and people who don't know if they're going to be able to pay for their second semester of college and all kinds of different things and ways that, and, and things that we've put our hope in and we're realizing those things are, are taking a toll on us. Those things are letting us down. I want you to know that, that those are things that you can take to Jesus it doesn't mean that the story will end up exactly like we want or that you'll give your life to Jesus and you'll magically win a scholarship and college will be paid for, but it just means that the hope and the despair and the weight that you feel can be given to him and you can feel light. You can feel life. You can feel complete. And you can know God and you can trust in God. Jesus came to repair restore and redeem us. And so what I want you to, to know today is, as we close here, as we look at the crossroads of, of this knowledge of Jesus, as we look at his birth and we think, what does this mean for me? Have you trusted your life to Jesus and said, Lord, you can repair me, you can restore me, you can redeem me? Or have you still continued to run after other things? Have you continued to run after these other things and say, this will be enough this time. It's let me down before, but, but I know when I get there, when I get that promotion, when I'm, when I'm married, when this happens, I'll be happy and I'll be complete and I'll be full. I want you to know that Jesus came as a baby, fully God and fully man in flesh so that your life could be full, so that you could know hope, so that you could have everything. And he's offering that gift today of, of restoration, of repairing your life and redeeming everything that's been wrong and everything that's defined you. He wants to give you hope. It's a free gift and it's up to you and I to, to reach out and, and grab that gift, to put our belief into action. Say, Lord, I, I wanna live my life for you. Have you let him do that? Have you let that decision define your life? We take a moment and, and pray with me as we close. God, we're excited to be together to celebrate Christmas and we're excited to, uh, to make traditions and, and be together as a family. But we want to make sure that, uh, that we're celebrating things that matter. We want to make sure that we're celebrating the most important thing. And so God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that for the first time is realizing that this year is not just about Christmas music and, and presents, but they're realizing that Lord, you sent your son Jesus so that they could know hope, so that they could know life, and they could know life to the fullest. God, I pray that, that they will trust you, that they will let that simple decision change their heart and change their life, that they'll say, Jesus, I trust that you are who you said you are, that you came to this world to repair me and to restore me, and Lord, I want to live my life for you. I want to have eternal life and relationship through you. God, I pray that we'll just take a moment today and write our hearts before you and ask ourselves that question. And we want to just offer you a chance to, to make that decision today. No, no pressure, but if that's a decision that, that you'd want to make, 
we want to celebrate that with you because this, this series is called Let Me Introduce You. We want people to be introduced to Jesus, to know that they're safe, to know that they're found in Jesus. And so if, if for the first time today you'd like to trust him with your life, I'd love for you to, to do something that might make you a, a little nervous, might feel a little bold, but just to, just to, to place your hand in the air and say, I, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to give my life to him. Will you raise your hand and just proclaim that? You can indicate that on the, the Next Steps card, and we would love to, to follow up with you and celebrate that with you, but we want to not miss an opportunity today for you to say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, thanks for meeting us here today. Thank you for all of the ways that you celebrate with us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for letting us be in your presence. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.